What's up, friends? Yes, this is... Well, my name is John. How's it going? <laughs> now, um, so this is the second in a series. This one's Roadmaps Part 2, uh, The Critical Journey. What I'm doing right now is a series on... Well, I mean, yeah, roadmaps, but even that's kind of tongue-in-cheek. That if you want to continue to keep growing and changing, it's important to have a roadmap, a basic understanding of what comes next. And so in the last one, we talked about uh, Dante Alighieri's epic poem called The Divine Comedy and how that was built on the medieval framework of illumination, purgation, and perfection or union. This one, though, this is a more modern take, and this one's all about stages of faith. Now, you might have heard the phrase stages of faith from a guy named James Fowler, especially if you've been around church circles. It was a really foundational book because it was trying to bring together the Christian tradition and good psychology. And it was a really good book. It was kind of a result of also the influence of Eric Erickson. But this one is called The Critical Journey. And the original people that came up with it, their names are Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick. Now they wrote a book and it's fantastic. I read it maybe more than a year ago. And I just thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a great updated version of the stages of faith. And so let's chat through it, okay? So my name is John. I was trained as a pastor, and this is one of the ways I'm trying to do something good with it. I'm really fascinated by how people change and grow, and I really think uh, the Christian faith has a lot more to do with how we change and grow than maybe people realize, and so even if you're not a necessarily a church-going person, this is a great, great, <laughs> uh, the Christian tradition is a great way to get some wisdom about how to keep growing and changing. So let's do this, all right? Welcome. This is Ambush Podcast, and today we're talking about the critical journey. Now, the critical journey is definitely more geared towards people who are faith-oriented. Not all of these roadmaps that we're going to do in this series are definitely uh, frameworks that you have to be a church-going person or in order to understand, but this one kind of does lean in that direction. So here we go. Gulick and Hagberg divided up life into six stages. And in the midst of them, there's even kind of a half stage or something else, which we'll get to. But in the life of faith, they divided up six different stages. And they seem to be consistent with people, not just in Western world, but also globally, Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, all. These seem to be stages that everyone can notice themselves in. And even if you were somebody that left the church or Christian tradition, you might still be able to recognize at some point in here where it is that you left. So let's do this. Stage one, according to 
Gulick and Hagelberg in the critical journey. It's super easy. It's <laughs> you have a life-changing awareness of God. You have some form or experience of ultimate goodness, beauty, truth, or love, and it has changed your world. It has rocked you, and now you're left asking completely different questions. This could be the birth of a child, a really beautiful sunset, deep experiences of authentic love, anything really. But the first step in the stages of faith is that you have a life-changing awareness of God that happens. That's number one. Easy. Oh, and by the way, there's no age limit to put to these stages. You can have these stages at any point. It doesn't matter when or how you start them. You could be three. You could be 33. You could be 63. It doesn't matter. Step number two would be, all right, learning about the divine, learning about God, learning about the experience you just had. So step number two is you now go on a bender. It's like you got to find out what you just experienced. And maybe that means you explore a whole bunch of religions and a whole bunch of different texts. You go and visit multiple different types of pastors or YouTube pages to try to understand what was going on. And so now you're doing that deep dive into trying to understand what you just went through. That's actually a pretty exciting stage. A lot of people get energized by it, but also a lot of people might find um, subpar teaching because you don't know at that point what is good or bad teaching. But regardless, after you have a life-changing awareness of God happen, it's almost inevitable. You got to go find language to describe it. You got to go find other people that experienced it as well. And that's stage number two. Stage number three is not learning about God, but now it's about serving and doing things for that God. This is a pretty active life. So let's say now you've done enough studying and enough learning. You got tons of fervor. You're super excited about what you've been learning. You've got a whole new vocabulary in which to interpret and understand any other experiences you might have been having, and now you're just devoting yourself. And so in the midst of it, you are devoting yourself to the tradition. Maybe you're diving in at church. You're doing tons of good stuff, and it's all wonderful, and it's all fueled by that very first encounter or life-changing experience and awareness of God. It's awesome. Good for you. But that's stage three, and it, each stage builds upon the previous stage. But still, it's a pretty active life. You've learned a lot, and now you're doing a lot. Okay. Now, here comes something hard. After you might have been doing that thing for a while, you've been doing a lot for God, you may hit something like a brick wall. You slam up against it, and maybe it was a shock. Let's say your life has a massive disappointment, divorce, or you lost your job. Someone that you cares about dies of an overdose, 
where a child dies in a car accident. You hit the wall, and you didn't see it coming. Not only that, but maybe you hit the wall, and you're offended by it. It's like, well, wait a second. I had a good experience of God. I learned a lot about I was even doing a lot for God, and this happened? And so a lot of people hit the wall, and they end up sometimes getting really cynical or bitter. Almost as if they thought that the experience of God and learning about God and doing things for God was going to excuse them or help them avoid slamming into a hard wall. A lot of people leave the faith or faith communities during this moment, during this season. Now, in the ancient ancient poetry of the church, they would call this a dark night of the senses or a dark night of the soul. But here, I kind of like Hagberg's and, and Gulick's term. It's just the wall. You just slam up against the wall. You had tons of inertia. You were going somewhere and bam. Man. And so the wall is pretty difficult. You can probably understand. Now, at this point, the wall could maybe last for a week, a couple weeks, a couple months. Sometimes it happens for a couple years. There's no prediction of how long that wall will happen. But one of the things that is noticeable about it is that the previous joy that you took in the faith is now completely gone, just sapped up. Let's say you really enjoyed prayer. Now it means nothing. You used to read the Bible a lot, and now you have zero desire to read it. Let's say you used to be super into music from your favorite musician. It means nothing. Now it's like dust in your ears. You just don't care. It means nothing. It doesn't stir you. It doesn't move you. It's just the world is now black and white and in 2D. Okay. But that's a wall. That's not necessarily a stage. Next up comes stage four, which is really kind of beautiful. Because when you hit the wall and you realize you can't smash the wall, you can't avoid the wall, you go inward. And that's stage number four. Now, there's kind of um, a diff- a, two different ways of thinking about it. Maybe you started doing that inner work. And in the midst of doing that inward journey, you hit a different type of wall where you came up against the reality of realizing that you're a jerk. (laughs) Or you start doing that inner work and you start realizing you've got some addictions that you need to work on and it sent you into a spiral. Let's say in the midst of doing the journey inward, you started to realize a lot of family dysfunction that then led you and encouraged you to have your own dysfunction. And that, that drug up some real sewage. You know what I mean? So sometimes the wall happens and then it's stage four and sometimes it's stage four and then the wall, but regardless, it happens. The journey inward though is really profound because at this point you're actually willing or maybe being forced to develop some soulfulness. Maybe before this you were increasing in information but now you're increasing in soul and that's something different. And if any of you play music, uh, I think one way you could 
yeah, potentially think about this is this is like having a life-changing awareness of yourself. And this is kind of when people stop. It's not that they're, they stop learning about God, but they start doing some pretty honest and serious learning about themselves. And so just like on keys on a keyboard or scales on a guitar, you can play the note C down low, or you can play the note C up high. It's still the same note, but it's at a different octave. And it's kind of similar here, where in previous stages you were learning about God, but now you're learning about yourself. It's like you're doing some learning, but it's at a different octave, but somehow it's still connected. You feel me? So a lot of times people in stage four, they start paying attention to things that maybe they were avoiding or repressing or denying things that they didn't want to look at. And last episode, we talked about how that could be something close to shining a light on some of the darkness in us. And that surgeons can only do surgery in the light. They can't do it in the dark. And so in this stage, there's a lot of inward turning in a healthy way to find out where we're still bleeding on the inside so that we can actually heal that wound and develop some soulfulness, some heartfulness, all good. But that's stage four. Then comes stage five, where it's kind of a higher octave of doing things for God. Now you're doing things, yeah, for God, but also for other people. And even with maybe for yourself, but it's an outward journey rather than an inward journey where now you've done enough inward work that now your energy and your attention can be redirected to the world around you. But get this, with the insights and the wisdom that you gained from the inward journey. Isn't that good? So this is an outward turn. This is a taking of the insights from stage four and applying them to yourself and to others and to the God. Okay. But at this point, you're no longer looking inward as much. And there's a good reason to look inward because all of us are actually intimately bonded with the trauma and the disappointments that have shaped us. And a lot of our sins and our dark behavior are our attempt to salve the wound of those traumas and disappointments of life. Not all sins are a result of us just trying to be self-destructive. I do think that a lot of our sins are actually attempts to self-medicate, but are actually self-destructive. Yup. But then we get to the sixth stage, and this is something really profound. At the sixth stage... We have now gotten over the wall. We've done the inward journey and cultivated some soulfulness. We've dug out the cancers within our soul that didn't belong. Now we've moved outward with the wisdom and insights from stage four, but now we're living a radically different type of life that's open and it's spacious and it's gracious. And in some ways, stage six is kind of like the wall, but at a higher octave. The wall is when you you butt up against something and all of a sudden there's limits. 
You butt up against something and then there's despair. You butt up against something and now there's a dark inertia. Is that the word I'm looking for? I guess so. But at stage six, it's like there's no walls anymore. Not to say that you don't have difficulties. I'm not saying that you won't maybe have another wall at some point again. But gracious and spacious. At this point, you've actually started to cultivate some pretty serious Christ-likeness. At this point, you've probably given up forms of legalism, which legalism means that you have a, a set bounds and rules and laws about how life is supposed to go and you'll have a good life if you live by these rules. Well, at this point, You've given up that addiction to rules and to laws and a legal retribution understanding of life, where now you're actually bounding in graciousness and spaciousness. You realize that rules are good, but they're better when they're just guidelines, that sometimes you can walk over when the moment requires it, but you actually keep them for the most part, but you also don't berate other people when they don't follow the rules and and maybe it means you show some grace to yourself when you overstep some rules. So this stage six is really deep. It's really profound because at this point you're living a life of deep, deep love and it's actually unconditional. And this is where the turn happens from stage six, and then you hit stage one again, maybe, but you hit it, as I said, at a different octave, where now you understand maybe God in a very different way. And so this is kind of a another life-changing awareness of God. Oh, this was the game all along. It's like, now I see God and how God works God's not a legalist, not a forceful avenger of rules that are broken. Instead, God becomes the original spaciousness and graciousness of life. God actually at this point becomes the inherent goodness and beauty and truth and love no matter where you encounter it because the labels mean nothing to you anymore, because you see God in all and through all, for all, by all, and to whom all things go. (laughs) That's such a good line. That's actually from, well, an assortment of places from the New Testament. Okay, but let's recap. So stage one, you have a life-changing awareness of God. Stage two, you have an addiction in a good way to learning about that God. Cool. Stage three, you have an active life of doing things for God. Then you maybe hit a wall. Then you do this inward journey, cultivate some soulfulness, then do an outward journey. Cool. And then you relate to the people around you with the insights that you just had. And then you're transformed into love. And then my goodness, God is all in all. Okay. But why is it important to know this roadmap? Well, Churches can easily get stuck at stage two, learning about God, and stage three, doing things for God, and then have zero idea what to do with people who hit a wall. 
And then it's almost as though they don't even know how to cultivate soulfulness. So then they just tell people just um, just uh, go back to stage two. Maybe if you don't like the wall, maybe you should do stage three harder. And so sometimes churches can become places that forget or maybe don't know the roadmap of what's supposed to happen from the wall and after the wall. And in this sense, this is why a lot of people leave the church because it's, it takes for some really deep, deep mm, spiritual people to walk alongside people when they hit the wall. And usually the best guides through the wall are people that have been through it themselves. Now, not only can churches get stuck maybe in the learning and the serving stages, two and three, but it's really helpful just for you to know what might come next. So let's say you're at stage three and you're doing a lot of things for God and for the church and whatever. It's good to know that a day might come where some serious disappointments will rock your world. But what's really good to know is to know that's not the end. That there is something after that. And it's a journey inward. And just sometimes the knowledge that there's another thing next helps you to get over the current thing now. We can tend to get stuck at a certain stage because we think that stage is the end goal. And I really like that the end goal is not doing things for God, but actually is like stage six and you could say seven. It is being gracious and loving. And therefore, you're no longer serving God. You kind of are like a representative for God in this world. And then other people get the opportunity to maybe experience the spaciousness and graciousness and the love of God through you. And then you become the one that kickstarts someone else having their stage one. So I really like these stages of faith. I think that these roadmaps are so helpful. It's easy or let's say it's easier to keep growing if you know there's another stage to get to. And sometimes um, because we're really afraid of hierarchy, it's like, well, how, how dare you? You say you're at stage five and you look down on me for being at stage three? It's like, no, no, no. It's not about hierarchy as if we can look down condescendingly on anyone who's maybe at a previous stage than we were. What it is about is about being a guide and helping other people who are at a previous stage where maybe we once were, but maybe we're just ready to be there when they're ready to transition into the next stage. Maybe it means we be ready for when they hit their wall. Maybe it means we be ready to invite them into the inward journey and tell them they don't need to be afraid of it, even if it does bring up some dark stuff. Maybe it means seeing that God is in every stage along the way and that often 
we can be the Christ for each other going through these stages. So this is just another roadmap. We're doing a bunch of them because I think it's almost as though the more maps you have, the easier it is to navigate through life. And we all know that it's good to have different types of maps and different maps at different, um, let's say, atmospheres. You can have a map that's beneath the dirt. Cool. Okay. You maybe see some underground roots and some underground rivers. Maybe you've got a some maps at ground level. That's cool. Maybe you need a topographical map that can show you some elevation changes. Maybe you need a map that shows you the roads. Maybe you need a map that's a little higher than all of that. And so you can actually look at a whole state or a whole nation. I'm thinking there's actually maps for planes as they fly around the world and hit different jet streams above us. Yeah, there's weather patterns, but I do know that there's also jet streams that have their own channels. And so the more levels and the more maps you have, it's almost as though it gets easier to navigate the world. So this one, this was, uh, let's see, Roadmaps Part 2, The Critical Journey. Now, all I did was just kind of summarize a really good book. And so I'm going to put the Amazon link to the book in the notes. So if you really thought this was interesting, you really got to check out on Amazon the actual book. And what it will do is take everything I said and help you to realize, oh, I just scratched the surface. But if this one resonated for you, go ahead, man. You got to go for it. It's a really good roadmap. Okay. So let's finish. May you be light and life and love to the people around you. May you help them to grow and to change. And may the grace and peace of Jesus be with you every step of the way. Yeah.